Hey, Deviants. Thanks for tuning in to this very special show and tell episode of Dark and Devious. Yes, hello there, Deviants. Um, welcome back uh, to your favorite program. <laughs> As you see in the title, this is a mini-sode. And last week was a mini-sode. We don't normally do two mini-sodes back-to-back. But if our, our devoted listeners have known, um, Chris, you've been going through moving. So yes, and this is a drawn-out process. Uh, and I've been reading a a book on this next case that I want, that I want to talk about. So um, I'm hoping that it, you'll, you'll all think it's, it was worth the wait to hear about this. I guess I could say a new old case. It was one that I have not heard about, um, but it is a, a very good book so far. So I'm almost done with it. So I'm hoping for next week, I'll have that all done and ready for you all. So this will not to keep you in suspense, but, you know, quality research takes time. <laughs> yes, we shall all be ladies in waiting for you. <laughs> um, but yes. that gives us a really fun opportunity to do. Uh, I thought it would be fun to like, I pick a story, you pick a story. So it's kind of like show and tell with the news. It um, is. What um, you've been finding. Right. And I know what I'm going to talk about, which you don't know, and I don't know what you're going to talk about, but I just realized we never decided who was going to go first. Oh, that's a good question. But I have a great idea. I want to play Kai Baibo with you to decide who goes first. Okay. How do you, how do you play this game? So Kai Baibo is Korean for rock, paper, scissors. Oh, okay. But it is Kai is scissors. Okay. Bo is rock. Okay. Nope. Kai is scissors. Bai is rock. Okay. Bo is paper. Okay. So the so order of words with- is a little different, but it's the same thing. Okay. I won't remember what each of those <laughs> means, but we'll do rock, paper, scissors over Zoom to d- decide. Okay. So okay. let's do one, two, three, shoot. Okay. Okay, ready? All right. Kai, bye, Bo. Ah, I don't know what did I, I mean, I did scissors, which is? Kai. Kai, Okay. So uh, I guess I will go first then. Yep, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. Uh, We don't get many opportunities to play that uh, over a thousand miles. Right. Um, Well, I thought I would would do uh, a little discussion about a very interesting article that came up in my newsfeed just the other day 
And as soon as I saw this, I'm like, no way. Like, we have to talk about this. Um, so this popped up. This is from CNN. And the headline is, at least five Russian businessmen have died by apparent suicide in just three months. This is super, super weird. And like, we, I feel like it's kind of already pretty well known in the I don't know, international community that, that Russians carry the, like the Russian government carries out assassinations or like attempted assassinations on, uh, you know, their own people who are, even when they're abroad. Uh, I mean, Alexei Navalny, who is probably the most famous kind of opposition leader who is surprised in a Russian prison right now mm-hmm. uh, has been poisoned. Uh, I think, I believe multiple times. And like, even when he was in the UK, like, yeah, I remember the poisoning in the UK. It's some weird, like makes me think of the cold war kind of stuff. Um, just like trying to eliminate targets, you know, even when they're not within the bounds of your own country, it's, it's scary because it's like, I'm sure a lot of people think like that there's nowhere that the Russian government can't get to them. Exactly. Um, so I'll, I'll get into this story. So it says at least five prominent Russian businessmen have reportedly died by suicide since late January. So interesting. I seem to recall a certain invasion of a Russian neighbor that started around that time. It's Ukraine. You're just like looking at the at the screen blankly. <laughs> I know how to read the news. Okay, just double checking. I was fighting back a joke because that's not a funny situation at <laughs> okay. all. Okay. I was like, don't say it. It's not funny. This is not appropriate. And so like, not only is it weird that these uh, businessmen are, are dying by suicide, uh, there are at least two of these incidents where uh, they that they also members of their family were killed, but like before they took their own lives. And I'm putting this in air quotes because it's all really, really fishy. Mm-hmm. Um, and as if the coincidences weren't weird enough that like these kind of high ranking businessmen all started just suddenly killing themselves and sometimes their families and themselves um, four of the of the dead men were associated with the same company. So I don't know if HR needs to start reaching out to people or what, uh, but they're all associated with the Russian state-owned energy giant Gazprom. Or I, I guess it also specifies like, or one of its subsidiaries. So right. it sounds like it's this mega company and that, there are probably lots of little facets to this. Um, But when it comes to energy, like Russia is a huge energy exporter. Like that's a really big part of their whole economy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the fact that these, these guys are turning up dead and they're all involved in the energy sector or that most of them are, it, it sets off some major red flags for me. Um, So First, there's the guy who, who is a top executive at Gazprom, and he was found dead in his cottage in the village of Leninsky 
near Leningrad on January 30th, 2022. And that's according to Russian state media. Um, so they reported that there was a suicide note found at the scene um, and that the invest, like people who were investigating his death were investigating it as if it were a suicide. Uh-huh. So I, I would just be very interested to see how well the handwriting matches or if it was, or if, if it was a typed letter. Right. Like, I was well, going to ask, I was like, was it even in writing? Yeah, I know. I mean, now that's like old fashioned. Um, but it's like, can you really trust a suicide letter in this right. circumstance if it's typed? So the man was identified as Leonid Shulman, and he was the head of transport at Gazprom Invest. So there's there's one case, and that mm-hmm. happened within Russia's borders. So uh-huh. uh, it's odd. It's not totally out of the question, but you know, it does raise some major questions as to like, okay, let's, can we see this note? Uh, you know, what was the actual reason given? And right. maybe does he have like a, a history of mental illness or anything like that? Because it's like, if there was that to back it up, I could see that being a little more believable. But if it was just like, a prominent person and then out of nowhere they just like people don't just make a snap decision like that for no reason not for no reason i mean people definitely i've i read a statistic somewhere that like suicides most suicides are not planned Mm -hmm. a lot of it is you know um a minute decision but there's always reasoning behind it right it's not like you know, it's not like he just had a bad day and then decided to take mm. his own life. Because mm-hmm. that's not typically how that works. Right. So, okay, so there's one case down. Uh, so then just a month after that, another top executive at Gazprom was found dead in the same village. It's like, is someone murdering executives? Right. Like, that could be... like a total possibility too. Mm -hmm. Do we have some very strange serial killer on our hands? Um, So this guy was Alexander Tayokolov and he was found dead in his garage on February 25th, um, which is according to Novaya Gazeta, which is an independent Russian newspaper. And that newspaper also reported that his death was caused by suicide. And it makes me wonder, like, is this a case where it's like, did you drive your car into the garage and then close the garage door? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what that makes me think of. But, you know, again, like, sparse on the details here. I mean, if he was shot in his car, in, you know, in the garage or something that I'm, I'm like, okay, well, you could easily make it look like somebody right. did it themselves. Yeah. Under the right circumstances. So then there is, uh, now we're going beyond Russia's borders. This next one, uh, uh, a Ukrainian born Russian billionaire, Mikhail Watford, Uh, was found dead in his home in Surrey, England on February 28th. 
now when when a billionaire is attached to your like descriptors in this news story I find it really hard that life would have been so bad that you know he would have taken his own life I mean not to say that money can buy happiness yeah I was gonna say I mean like some some notable celebrities that I immediately thought of I was like they were millionaires oh yeah and like they took their own lives so I mean I mean we never know what's going on inside a person despite what is on the outside that's true that's very true so uh for that one Surrey police uh said that the death was being investigated by the coroner who said a hearing will be held on on July 29th so that one, it sounds like the investigation, maybe they're a little more open, um, especially since this is something happening outside of, mm-hmm. uh, of Russia, uh, that there are some questions I'm sure that they have. And uh, it sounds like that's being taken seriously. And I guess that we'll, we'll find out more about that, hopefully in the future. Um, so then there is Russian businessman Vasily Milnikov, I hope I'm saying that right. He was actually found dead alongside his family in Nizhny Novgorod. I I hope I'm just saying it well, you know, with enough of an accent that it sounds vaguely <laughs> like it. Like I mean, it's it sounds it sounds close. Uh, and so he and his family were found dead in late March. That was according to the Russian newspaper Kommersant. Um, so this Melnikov, um, he owned Medstom, which is a medical supply company. And according to Russia's investigative committee, a 43-year-old man, his wife, 41, and two children aged four and 10 were found stabbed to death on March 23rd. Um, that seems very, very vendetta personal. Mm-hmm. When like you a think a four-year-old, a ten-year-old, like, yeah, this seems way too brutal. I mean, then again, like you said, it's really hard to know what's going on inside the mind of of someone like that. But I mean, you think if you if there was some reason why you were going to like eliminate your whole family, I don't think you'd want to. Like, I would think you'd want it to be quick and painless. Like you just want it to be over with. Maybe, but then you hear about people that like slaughter their family and then commit suicide after the fact. Yeah. I mean, I guess at this point, it's really hard to even contemplate what, you know, what actually happened or why it actually happened. An incident, like that incident of the whole family being eliminated and as well as this, this guy who was the owner of this medical supply company. It just seems very, very strange. And that one, it sounds like is also still developing. In the article here, it says, uh, at the time of the incident in March, it said that there were no signs of unauthorized entry into the apartment and uh, that knives were found and seized as like as evidence. Okay. So there, it sounds like investigators are considering several versions of what happened, including the murder of the children and wife by the head of the family, followed by a self-inflicted death. And that's what um, the 
investigative committee of this case stated. Okay. Um, and then again, uh, earlier this month, so this, I mean, this article was posted just the other day, so it must have been the uh, earlier in April. Mm-hmm. Two more Russian businessmen died in apparent murder-suicide incidents. Um, so there's this, this man, Vladislav Aveyev, who is the former vice president of Gazprom Bank. And he was found dead with his wife and daughter in his Moscow apartment on April 18th. And that is according to Russian state news agency, TASS. Um, so TASS claimed authorities were investigating the Aveyev's deaths as a murder-suicide. Again, uh, it's interesting that a whole family was taken out. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Yulia Ivanova, who is a representative of the investigative committee, committee for Moscow, was quoted as saying that the relative uh, that a relative discovered the bodies after being told by the family driver and the nanny that they could not contact them on the phone or get into the apartment um, since the door was closed from the inside. And and uh, to fur so uh, again, it's an instance where like everything's locked from the inside, so that's that makes it seem legit. But mm-hmm. I could also see like. You know, when you when you've seen enough spy movies, you're like, oh, they're like they've got ways of locking it after they leave. Right. Yep. And especially if the government is involved, like. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, The resources of Mm -hmm. the government, uh, I believe they could they could stage it to make it look like anything. Anything Uh, They wanted to. Exactly. Uh, And and to further mystify things is. uh, another, like a close friend, um, Igor Voloboyev, uh, and he was a former vice president there at Gazprom Bank. Um, and he said that he did not believe that Avayev killed himself. Hmm. So somebody who's close to the source, like knows this guy well, doesn't believe that he would have done this. Um, so I guess his the um he described the the job was to deal with private banking which means dealing with uh vip clients and he was in charge of very large amounts of money so did he kill himself i don't think so i think he knew something and that he posed some sort of risk is is what this um Boloboyev told cnn hmm. And then uh, just a day later on April 19th, Sergei Protosenya, who is a former executive at the gas producer Novatech, which is partially owned by Gazprom, was found dead north of Barcelona. So here now we're in Spain. Yeah. Uh, And so the bodies of his wife and daughter were found nearby. An official source close to the investigation told CNN. So they had, I guess they had a, a home in uh, Lorette de Mar, which is, I guess, a Mediterranean resort near Barcelona. And yeah, the, so the, the two women in this case showed signs of having suffered violence and were found inside the family's luxury home. And the body of 
Protosenia was found in the garden outside, according to the source. The case is being investigated as a double murder and subsequent suicide in a domestic violence case. So it sounds kind of like that might be what they're thinking too. Mm-hmm. I believe that is the, la- the last case there. And it seems like um, more, more people are who are close to the, the subjects of these investigations are just really shocked that they would have done something like that. Uh, so all of that makes this extremely suspicious. And the timing, the fact that some of them were like one day after another, I think the Russian government is getting rid of people who are perhaps inconvenient or that they might be afraid will like defect and maybe blow their whole operation somehow. Mm-hmm. I agree. It seems suspicious to me that so many people of a high level within companies or like branches of that same company are all um, like completing quote suicide around the same time. And then also I know right now, like with this invasion of Ukraine going on, I know the military and the government, you know, Putin's, you know, team is all for this. But I've read many articles and heard many interviews that the people of Russia are very much against it. Mm-hmm. And, and well, and the thing is that whenever anybody speaks up, it seems that they get thrown in jail. And right. Uh, I can't, I can not think of a more terrifying place to be than a Russian prison because they just don't share the same uh rights as much of the rest of the world Mm -hmm. uh you know so it's it's like yeah they they really could just lock you up and if they really don't like what you're saying or what you're doing they could just they'll find an excuse to lock you up and throw away the key and they won't even bat an eye because you're just a you're just a little pawn and yep you know you're just dropping the bucket because uh, I believe even calling this invasion a war it, it can get you put in jail for like more than a year. Wow. It's just, it's so scary. Like, oh yeah, like that's a that's how to be like a, a free and fair open country. Like you're literally threatening people with long prison sentences if they even say the wrong word mm-hmm. and it's just absolutely insane i i just really hope that the people of russia like end up getting the real story of what's happening and that they can help kind of like set things right because it's like if everybody in russia just decided that we are gonna just like revamp this whole system and like put new people in power and all that like they have the power to do that. I know, but it's, it only works if everybody gets on board. And unfortunately there's just too many people right now who aren't. Mm -hmm. So I really, what I really hope for is a better future for Russia so that 
they're not stuck with like this crappy leader who only thinks about himself. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I, I completely agree. But um, yeah, I hope, I mean, I really hope that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sad to hear that these people went out, especially the family members. That's the saddest. You know, the, the spouses and the children, that's really sad. Um, and honestly, like in the best case scenario, they were all suicidal, like completion efforts plus taking out other people. And it's not some big conspiracy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not some big plot. Well, and it also go against the Russian military agenda. And it also makes me wonder what if, you know, if these really do end up being true murder suicide situations, what if they were really just so scared for their families and for themselves that they were like, this is literally better than what like the Russian government will do to us because they, they're like, they're, we will never know peace, you know, because there's nowhere that they can't reach. I'm sure that they, that that is the, the image that they, um, that they portray. It's like, we're never going to, like I said, no peace ever again. So it's just easier to just end everything now. I could totally see that being, a thing that maybe out of fear is why this happened and why this mm-hmm. has been happening. But I don't know. There's... I still, I still think that there's somebody else behind it. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of theories that we could go down, but this, this is a many sode, so we can't yes. go down all of them. But um, <laughs> when I yeah, think, I've... I think I got the, the gist of it across of what, what I kind of think. And it's, very interesting. Well, this is a developing story that we'll just have to keep an eye on. Yeah. So thank you for telling us about it. I was not aware of this. Um, and yeah, good job. Good job telling us. And I hope you keep us updated. Yes, I'll definitely be keeping my eyes on the headlines for that one. Hey, Chris. So The other day, my husband and I went to go see movies at the movie theater, but sometimes I really like watching an old classic. Do you ever like just like going back into your catalog and watching a different movie over and over? Oh my gosh, all the time. I am am such a movie buff. I have a huge collection uh, and you know, and it always is fun watching a movie with good company. I agree. Um, There's something about like, just, you know, sitting down with a group of friends, watching one of your favorite flicks. But that's not always possible because everyone's schedules are different, timing changes. Um, but that's where the podcast Rose Tinted Reels come in. Yes, hosts Zach and Allison are an absolute delight to listen to. And as they discuss their favorite movies and sometimes movies they've never even seen before. Right. Like, I feel like out of the two, Allison has seen every movie under the sun and Zach has seen like 10%, which makes it so fun because every time you hear someone's perspective based on if 
like what they thought of when they first saw it, after they saw it for the third time, and then they analyzed it, and then someone's first impression. That is so true, uh, which is why I can't recommend Rose Tinted Reels highly enough. It's a super fun podcast, and we've done a collaboration with them before. They're really fun to listen to, and I hope that our listeners will check them out as well. So true on everything you said. So if you like us, you like to listen to good friends, just sit down and have a nice chat over a central themed topic. Check out Rose Tinted Reels podcast wherever you stream and listen. Okay, Chris, and for our listeners, for story number two this week, I thought that I would take note and recognize that it is Asian American and Pacific Islander uh, Heritage Month here in the United States of America and go over the current events of Asian American hate and prejudices and violence um, in honor of the month. Mm-hmm. I remember I we had a very prominent case last year. And I'm wondering if it was actually around this time. It was. So last year at the same time, I covered the case of Jennifer Pan, mm-hmm. who was a Korean Canadian citizen who um, had her, or she attempted to have her whole family murder. And like, we had to put out a disclaimer at that time because we weren't trying to like, bring note of like violence within the Asian uh, community. It just, we did the research and it just happened to accidentally fall into the same. Yeah, and it was at that same time that there was those uh, murders that happened. Was it in? Atlanta. Atlanta, I was gonna say somewhere in Georgia, uh, in the Atlanta area and they the all of these these killings took place around like uh the uh, asian women were the main victims Mm -hmm. of of the perpetrator and it was all was it uh were they all was it around massage parlors or massage and nail salons and nail salons yes which um it, it seemed very pointed and especially at a time when people were still very directing hate at the Asian community because of COVID because exactly a lot like there were a lot of people spouting like oh it's China's fault and you know that it's you know Asian people somehow like were the perpetrators of this virus and it's like mm, no I'm sorry it doesn't work that way you know you don't choose to like how pathogens work. I'm sorry. Like exactly. Not- you don't choose where you come from and you don't choose um, anything that may naturally evolve from where you came from. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to highlight a brief history of the Asian American hate within the USA, as well as current hate crimes. So as of now, the United States is opening back up, but it still struggles in some parts. 
And recent reports have shown that Asian Americans still remain anxious. Women and the elderly are taking self-defense classes and others are arming themselves for protection. Even parents are wondering if they should keep their children out of schools almost two years after the pandemic started. There are 23 million Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the US. And ever since the pandemic began, a new poll suggests just one out of every three fear that they will be attacked. New research finds that hate crimes targeting the Asian American community have reached unprecedented levels. The compilation of the hate crime data published by the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism revealed that anti-Asian hate crime increased by 339% last year. That is a staggering, like all of these figures are staggering, like literally one in three um, like fear being fear, targeted yeah. for a hate crime when they leave the house yeah that uh, I mean checking my privilege here uh, right I literally cannot imagine what that would feel like mm-hmm. right so as mentioned um, anti-Asian hate crimes increased by 339% and New York San Francisco and Los Angeles surpassed their record numbers in 2020. Oh, that is just horrifying. I mean, especially when you think about major metropolitan areas that already, you know, just by sheer numbers, like you're going to have more crime because there's more people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you think about that being multiplied by by 100, like more than 100%. That's a lot of that's a lot of crime happening. And more than 100% towards one ethnic minority. Yeah. Not overall. Yeah, that's just horrifying. And it's like absolutely despicable. Mm-hmm. Many blame the previous administration's use of racist rhetoric for the rise in violence. As when President Trump stated, quote, I would like to begin by announcing some important developments in our war against the Chinese virus. What comes out of the mouth of the leaders, especially the president, matters, said Senator Mazi Hirono of Hawaii. Hirono pointed out that we're witnessing history sadly repeating itself. Trump did not create this kind of discrimination and indeed hatred but rather he called to the fore the kind of thinking that some people in the country have. Hirono continued that Asian American Pacific Islander citizens have always been deemed the perpetual foreigners. It's not just the pandemic, said Associate Professor Locke Sia who teaches Asian American studies at the University of California, Berkeley. There's an economic crisis in our country. There's a political crisis in our country. Unfortunately, because of the high visibility of Asian Americans being associated with the viruses, they become the targets, Xia continued. 
She said a battered economy has always been one of the root causes for scapegoating Asian Americans. So we can see this happening as early as the 1870s because when the conclusion of the railroad construction happened, which was the transcontinental railroad, mm -hmm. there were spikes of outraged white workers who were claiming that the Chinese immigrants were taking over jobs and therefore needed to be gotten ridden of. Wow, isn't that funny how that just keeps repeating itself? And mm -hmm. we just like, it's just like insert undesirable immigrant immigrant group name here. Like anyone, it, it's like, that's the excuse that just keeps getting used over and over again. And exactly. And I know probably even like this year, we've probably heard somebody use that, uh, that excuse. It's like, oh, like they're, they're coming and taking our jobs and like, uh, excuse me, like, if you were already doing the job, like, they wouldn't need to come here. Like, right, <laughs> the job was filled. Like, yeah, yeah. It's a, And what I think is very interesting is like, oh, you really like the benefits of their inexpensive labor so that they can build the transcontinental railroad so that you can easily get from one side of the country to the other. Yeah, you'll enjoy that. But then you don't want them to stick around afterwards. Right. Like, One, um, they put in the hard work to build an essential piece of infrastructure for the country. Mm -hmm. and But you're not willing to let them like enjoy it themselves. Right. And as a result of the um, rebelling against Chinese workers building the Transcontinental Railroad, um, anti-Chinese writers burned down and even wiped out Chinatowns across the nation. And in 1882, the U.S. government made anti-Asian racism official with the Chinese Exclusion Act, prohibiting all immigration by Chinese laborers. It was the first federal act of its kind barring a specific ethnic group from entering the United States. Which is so weird. I mean, everybody thinks that like, oh, America used to be so great. It's like, we've always had issues. We've been <laughs> shit from the start. Like we wiped out the Native Americans and anyone that else came, you know, to for a chance of freedom. It was always uh, preferential that anybody coming here, like, okay, if you're a certain type of white, we'll accept you. Right, because even the Irish, who are yeah. very white, yeah. were extremely we're, discriminated against. Yeah, and also, like, Italians didn't used to be considered white. Right, yeah. It's very weird. Our problematic history with various immigrant communities, it's like everybody's been discriminated. Like, every ethnic group has had a time when they were the, the odd one out. Mm-hmm. And so as mentioned, um, in 1882, when the Chinese Exclusion Act prohibited Chinese people of descent immigrating to the USA, that act was legal for 61 years. And I was shocked that it was not repealed in 1943. 
That, and that's I, how long it took for, for it to be repealed. Right. So it took place in 1882, and Chinese like people of heritage were not able to immigrate again until 1943. That is insane. Well, and especially when you think about um, the Chinese were very much against the Japanese in World War II. Uh, there are some really horrible things the Japanese did to the, the Chinese people um, during that conflict. And uh, so like really the Chinese were a huge ally to us in World War II. And right. it still wasn't until like war broke out until it's like, okay, I guess we'll drop this, this exclusionary policy toward you because we're on the same side again. Right. It's like, now you can be a benefit to us. Yeah. Yeah. We only want you when you can help us. If you're not going to help us, we don't want you type of thing. And it's interesting that you, that you brought that up because um, in 1965, uh, a news documentary titled The Nisai, The Pride and Shame, Walter Cronkite spoke to the wartime attitude against Japanese Americans, which would unleash a deep racial hate against all things Japanese. And with that, and the Chinese uh, community being upset with the Japanese for their treatment on China, that's what made it full circle for the... Mm -hmm. Uh, U.S. government is like, okay, China is okay, but now Japan is not. So during the war, 120,000 people of Japanese heritage were forced to give up their homes and put into internment camps, mostly in California. Yeah, this is like a really like ridiculously like insane part of American history and it's it's a part that I think a lot of people gloss over or like don't even really fully understand and like there are people who are still alive today who in their childhood were forced from their homes and like the, these are even people who were Americans mm -hmm. like or like not even necessarily like uh like freshly just immigrated to the United States, but like people who had been established here for a while. Right. And then it's being like, we're gonna, we're gonna uproot you from your homes and we're going to, you know, if you have a business, we're gonna like sell off your business to somebody else. And like, you will never get that back. Right. Um. And yeah, like, as you mentioned, most Americans either gloss over or don't know about it because it's very conveniently left out of U.S. history books. And also, as you mentioned, most of these Japanese Americans were indeed American citizens by birth. And there was no proven guilt that these Japanese American citizens were involved in any war crimes. Right. It seemed like it was all very, uh, it's not like they had a lot of documentable evidence being like, oh, you are definitely connected to, you know, Japanese espionage or something like that. And mm -hmm. that's why we have to 
uh, we have to relocate you. It's like, um, you're basically just, rather than doing actual investigations, you're just clearing out basically entire neighborhoods and, and hoping that you catch a spy. Right. It's real, real sloppy. Mm-hmm. But after World War II, Japanese Americans struggled to regain their stability. But those that eventually did, sadly, their success stories led to an enduring stereotype upon Asian Americans. That Asian Americans tend to have a misconception that Asian Americans have, quote, made it right. They are model minorities. Model minority, two words that may sound positive together, but explain the phrase is often used as a wedge. What model minority has done has pitted Asian Americans against other racial ethnic groups on the premise that somehow, because they have the quote unquote, so-called ritual cultural values, whatever may be, they will be able to achieve success. The idea that Asian Americans fared better um, after the war played out into the 1980s when Michigan's auto industry was heading to the scrap heap. The scapegoat for many was Japanese imports. Not only Japanese imports as in cars and supplies, but also its people, which sparked a new wave of anti-Asian discrimination. So just to clarify, this whole like model minority thing is that because Japanese citizens who came out of the internment camps were able to like rebuild and persevere and regain their status as successful business people, just fueled into the stereotype that like Asians are smart. American Asians will succeed. They will be great business people. And that fell into this um, auto industry where like at the time, um, Detroit, Michigan was booming with auto industries and they brought in um, Japanese imports for like parts and services. And that brought in Japanese experts. They're like, oh, wow, look, like they're not only super smart, but they're also really skilled. And that's a problem in itself. Mm-hmm. And what I think uh, is an important thing to remember too, is that even, even what we consider to be like positive stereotypes can be, uh, can be hurtful in, mm-hmm. in ways. Yes. Cause I, I mean, it's like, you don't just be like, oh, somebody's Asian. So they must be good at math. Like that's right. an example of, yep. of a stereotype, but it's like, that also isn't helpful. Uh, that it's like it has its own problematic thing there too that um you know just being associated in one way or another it's like just remember across the board not all of anybody is anything you know Mm -hmm. so journalist and activist helen xia worked in a detroit auto factory During the same time, a 27-year-old Chinese-American's name would become a rallying cry, Vincent Chin. 
He was not your model minority, said Xia. He hadn't gone to college. He was taking night classes. He worked as a draftsman and he worked part-time at a Chinese restaurant as a server. He was really your all-American, Asian-American, Chinese-American kid, Xia said. On June 19, 1982, two white men, a father and a stepson, beat Vincent Chin to death with a baseball bat outside of a McDonald's after an argument at the nearby bar where Chin was celebrating his bachelor party. Oh, that it, like absolute recipe for tragedy right there. Mm-hmm. One of the bar workers told reporters that she heard the stepfather say to Chin, because of you motherfuckers from China, we are out of work. Chin's death didn't make national news. The sentencing of his assailants in April of 1983 did, because a charge of second-degree murder was reduced by a plea bargain to manslaughter, and the sentence, a $3,000 fine and three years of probation. No prison time. For not only killing someone, but killing someone violently. In public with witnesses. That is insane and the the prosecutor for that case should have been fired because that is like i don't care if you get a plea bargain uh this should one this should have been a slam dunk you should have gone for maximum Mm -hmm. penalty yeah because ultimately like this this family now has a, a a member of their family that is never coming home again and this person out of their racist misconception just picked this person at random and like it could have been anybody like oh it makes me so angry um and i'm wondering because i know there are federal hate crimes laws in place and it makes me wonder when those were put Mm -hmm. in place because Mm -hmm. you could be like that would be a great example of being of of like you would have these regular charges but then there would also you could also have a federal case against someone like this especially if you heard them say that the reason that they were upset at them was because they were asian they thought they were taking their jobs right so many in the public believe that the sentence was because the victim was of chinese descent As nationwide calls for justice grew louder, both men, the father and stepson, were indicted on federal charges for violating Chin's civil rights, but they were acquitted. Oh, that makes me, I'm like, oh, is this the part where things go right? No. No, no. And this was in, this was the early 80s? 1982. Okay, so... It sounds like we had a long way to go still. Mm-hmm. And I mean, granted, we still do. We Yes, we certainly still do. Um, however, in 2012, the father apologized for killing Qin, but still insisted that it was never about race or anything to do with Asian Americans. But he was just frustrated with the fact that he no longer had a job. And it oh, was a killing of baby. passion. Ugh. rather than racist motives. 
so what you just pick and like oh so what if you'd picked a white person on the street and but also that it was heard quoted that you motherfucker chinese so yeah that's explain to me that yeah and i i think that's crazy that it took uh was that 30 years for him to even apologize and then he still didn't like really own up to his own racism right i'm like even if it's even if you don't have overt hatred towards a group like what you did was a racist act mm-hmm. right so so as you mentioned earlier when I first introduced uh, this topic of Asian American and Pacific Islander hate in the USA. In March of 2021, a white gunman assaulted and shot up three Atlanta area nail and massage parlors. Among the eight people killed, six were women of Asian descent. On Tuesday of March 2021, the killer pleaded guilty to four of the murders and was handed four life sentences without the possibility of parole. While prosecutors in one county charged him with a hate crime, those in another did not. In a rare moment of bipartisanship, Congress recently passed the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act, introduced by Senator Hirono of Hawaii and Representative Grace Meng. They hope it will make reporting a hate crime easier and give federal oversight to expedite the reviews process. The law is largely seen as the first step in efforts to decrease hate crimes based on racial or ethnicity biases. Journalist and activist Jia said the nation needs to go much further and that the history shows that this is going to be more than just a moment. There are renewed demands across the nation to teach Asian American and Pacific Islander history in schools in the hopes that people will see beyond the quote, perpetual foreigner, the model minority or the scapegoat. And I just have to say that there really has to be a focused, thoughtful effort to try to teach what America really is because we can build a country that everybody feels like we're part of if certain standards and practices are set in place and actually executed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we forget how important history is to know, you know, granted, I think a lot of people when they think about history in school they think of a bunch of facts and dates um it's a lot more than that like Mm -hmm. that's how we you know we need to learn all of these mistakes and stumbles and and kind of all the the crummy stuff uh, like along with all the good stuff right Uh, you know it can't just all be about how like we're always there to save the day and aren't we like you know because no no country is perfect exactly and the second you start thinking that your country is perfect that's kind of dangerous too because you know then then you are blind to when you when something is going wrong because then it's like oh 
how could how could uh, anything be going wrong here? Like we're we're the good guys. Mm-hmm. And it's like you yeah. know, bad things can happen in good places, and that and history proves that. So, well, that was a really good and very important uh, kind of that was like uh like the spark notes history. It, yeah, it really of- was a spark notes uh, because. It was the beginning of AAPI Heritage Month. Mm-hmm. I definitely wanted to touch on it. And I knew we weren't doing a full episode. So I thought, like, I'll give a brief rundown of all the hate AAPI citizens have been feeling, experiencing, honestly, since the beginning of the, probably the mid 1800s in the mm-hmm. USA. Yeah. Let alone other places. Right. So, so, well, yeah. let's all all think about ways that we can make sure that other, like everybody feels welcome uh, and be aware of that stuff like this goes on and do what you can to not be a part of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. All right. Well, well, thank you for listening, Chris. Thank you for listening to our audiences. Um, I hope y'all enjoyed our double feature. Yeah, this, this, this was a nice, uh, a nice way to uh, keep things interesting and uh, also just kind of not add too much to the stress. Mm-hmm. And as always, if you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Dark and Devious Podcast. You can also email us at Dark and Devious Podcast at gmail.com. And if you want us to tell a story that is close to your heart, something that is really interesting to you, please email us at darkanddeviouspodcast at gmail.com and we will be sure to um, feature you in an upcoming episode. That would be awesome. So thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, bye. bye.